0: everyone, and welcome to episode 31 of the Pop Culture Quorum Deo podcast. I am Jeff Wright. I am joined by my regular co-host, Jared Moore. We're here to talk about uh, the latest from the Marvel and Sony cinematic universe, Venom. But before we do that, Jared, how you doing, buddy? Doing well, man. Doing well. Just got back from visitation. Did you now? These like
1: space aliens, you know what they call them?
2: <laughs>
0: No, we go knock
1: on go knock on doors, man. We are the aliens knocking Mm. on doors.
0: Ooh, hallelujah! Uh, That'll preach, brother. It's gonna be sermon Sunday. We are the
1: aliens. We are the aliens. Hey, speaking of that, the worst. I'll just go ahead and say this, man. Do you remember that T-shirt we designed whenever we were youth pastors?
0: Buddy, I'll have to be honest with you. As special as it it is to me that we've designed T-shirts in the past, um, we've done a bunch of those, and I'm not (laughs) sure if I remember the particular one you're talking about.
1: Lister, let me tell you, Jeff and I, the geniuses that we were. Back in the day. Were. How dare you, sir? <laughs> we we had we we did a camp and the theme was close encounters, like a close encounter with the Lord. And dude, we put we put an alien on t shirts with a cross on their forehead. <laughs>
0: You're laughing, but
1: I fail to see the problem here, Jared. Can you elaborate? Every time I see, my wife wears that shirt sometimes, and I laugh every time I see it. I'm like, what in the world? It looks like some crazy cult. (laughs) Well, I mean,
0: wasn't that the year we were trying to start a cult? No. Oh. It must have been a different year. True story on my part. I have a trunk full. I say a trunk. It's one of those plastic bins from Walmart. But I have all my youth group shirts that we designed back in the day in a in a uh, plastic bin downstairs. I'm sure future generations are going to come through that thing like they do the great records of history.
1: Yes. Yes. Like, what were we thinking on some of those, man? This is
0: crazy. It's going to win minds and hearts, baby. That's what we were thinking. But enough. S- oh, well,
1: beca- because of that t shirt, I bet there are many people going to heaven. Mm, mm, indeed. <laughs> indeed.
0: All right. This is Inside Baseball. Uh, guys, we will, we will release a special limited run of our youth group t shirts <laughs> through popculturequorumdayo t shirts.com. Look for that soon. Hey, true story, though, I developed a new drop to cover or to introduce the first section of our podcast. And it sounds like this.
1: What you watching?
0: What you watching? What you watching? So, Jared, for what you watching, here's what I got for you this week, buddy. I have been watching through the Jurassic Park franchise with my family um not too long ago the uh, Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom came out on Blu-ray and so uh my kids were like hey dad can we watch that dinosaur movie and we watched some of them and they didn't find them as scary as I thought they would so we you know kind of worked through worked through worked through well finally late last night we got to Fallen Kingdom and Christy my wife has never seen that movie before right Mm -hmm. So we're watching the movie, watching the movie, watching the movie. We get to the end of the movie and guys just spoiler alert right now. If you've not seen Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom, you're probably going to want to skip ahead for like 45 seconds. But she gets to the part where the dinosaurs are being gassed and Claire is, you know, thinking about releasing them upon, you know, an unsuspecting populace of humans around Washington State or wherever they were at and uh, Chrissy said wait what and we're watching and she's like good night I thought that was going to be the most morally broken ending to a movie I've seen yet and then the the little girl hits the button and Chrissy just lost her mind she's like what are you talking about that girl's a monster how in the world are we supposed to be happy about this and I was like honey that's exactly where Jared and I were when we reviewed the, we reviewed the movie
1: you mean your wife doesn't listen to every episode of our podcast
0: not if she hasn't watched the movie she she holds off until she watches the movie oh good save yeah. no I mean She's like, wife. oh, I watch your podcast, or I listen to your podcast. Now that I watch this movie, I was like, "Yeah, thanks, honey."
1: That is awesome, dude. My wife has never listened to an episode.
0: Mm. Does she know that I'm on it and my uh, incisive insights and cutting <laughs> commentary <laughs> and brilliant humor? Have you told her that? Yeah,
1: um, I've told her all that. Like even more, like how amazing you are. Oh, thank you, thank you. You are amazing. Like <laughs> I, I can't even put it into words. <laughs> it, it is hard to capture.
0: But anyway, I just thought I thought it was good news that. Um, that we're tracking with, you know, a woman that I think is pretty insightful when it comes to narrative analysis. She, she too was flabbergasted by the Jurassic Park films.
1: Oh, yeah. She's, she's brilliant, man. She really is. She's uh, got to intimidate you sometimes.
0: Sometimes. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, I guess that means that Jurassic Park Fallen Kingdom holds up just as poorly. That ending holds up just as poorly as we would have expected when we first reviewed the film after watching it in the theater. Yeah. Anyway, hey, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? Hey, tell me, tell me how uh,
1: watching the Predators panned out for you.
0: So I only made it through about halfway uh, in the um, the second Predator movie, and I was just thinking tonight that I need to get back to that. I, I've been traveling some, and so I really haven't had much leisure time. And what leisure time I did have, again, the kids were like, "Can we watch the Jurassic Park movies?" We're on fall break, and so they've been around the house, and they've been wanting to watch movies with dad, and I'm I'm game for that. So can I can I put a pin in that and come back to you?
1: Yeah. I Absolutely. I,
0: I I will say this, having watched, you know, probably the first thirty minutes of the second Predator movie, I'm terrified by that Los Angeles. I don't know if I don't know if Los Angeles ever looked like that, but that was an open war zone
1: and uh mm-hmm.
0: I don't know if any city's ever been that bad, but if they were, I'm really glad I wasn't
1: alive and living there at the time. Oh yeah. Um I've been watching I watched the first episode of Creeped Out, the new Netflix Um, kids show that's supposed to be an anthology about scary stories with moral lessons. Yeah how did how did that go? The first one was really good. You would like um, basically a lot of the things you said about um, kids and technology and the dangers. Oh yeah. Um, the first episode that's what it was about.
0: Oh really? So something like what we talked about in our episode reviewing next gen.
1: Yeah, yeah, Um, and they it's very overt and in your face, like blatantly a even you know a kid watching that could see. Oh, well, maybe, you know, I, I'm going to watch it with my kids and tell them because my, you know, spoiler alert, everyone, if you haven't seen the first episode of Creeped Out, but um, my daughter's been asking for a phone. She's nine years old. And so I want to show her that and say, look, the the phone starts controlling the kid's life. Oh, yeah. Like literally, like it's talking to her and doing things it doesn't want her to do. She's losing friends. And I mean, it's just, a, you know, and, and at the end, it, it <laughs> for anybody who didn't get it, it just blatantly says, like two or three sentences of what the moral of the story was. Really?
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, so I had I had watched the first episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark from back in the day with my oldest son the other night. Mm-hmm. And I did that before I realized that Creeped Out was had been released. You texted me and told me afterwards. And uh, we're going to check that out at some point, probably on fall break. I, it's funny you mentioned it, though. My seven-year-old daughter was just telling me, like, Daddy, when can I get a phone? And <clears throat> I think I've mentioned this already. She she I've told her this a couple of times already, but I was like, honey you need to forget about that. Like the time between now and when I will get you a phone is longer than how long you've been alive so far. And she was just flabbergasted. She's like, but there's these, you know, these kids at school have it. And and I'm like, that's great. I'm not their dad. and You are not ever getting a phone until you can buy it on your own. And she was just, she was just floored. She just thought I was a monster, which I'm sure more of that's coming. But anyway, we just had that conversation the last couple of days.
1: I'll tell you this, man, what's going to be difficult. And I've already seen it with my kid, but, um, there are kids at school who have phones and so their friendships, like, like a girl at my daughter's school told her the other day, you know, we're, you and I are, we're friends, but we're not best friends anymore. So-and-so is my best friend now.
0: Oh, cause the relationship moved on to the phone.
1: Yeah. Because oh, they're yeah. talk they're, they're talking more cause the other girl has a phone. So, right. and so it's negatively, it's just sad, but yeah. she's gotta, she's gotta learn that, that junk. Yeah. You know. Um I'm not gonna be a what is it, lawnmower parent or helicopter parent where I try to protect her from every you know, but she's she's got to... I hate that, but she's going to have to learn how to deal with things like that.
0: Yeah. I'm pretty sure the term is helicopter, but from now on, I'm going to call it lawnmower.
1: I think the new term is lawnmower. They... What is it? They mow down every obstacle or Oh, something. dude.
0: Okay. Well, that makes sense. I was thinking the Lawnmower Man, like that, that old Stephen King movie uh, that Johnny Depp remade a few years ago.
1: Johnny I'd, Depp remade that?
0: Yeah. I can't remember what it was called. It, it's... It's not worth tracking down. Um, but anyway, okay, lawnmower parent—that makes sense. So yeah, I'm going to uh, I'm going to be the lawnmower parent who makes my kid mow the yard. I'm listening to Ben Sass. He's <laughs> telling me what to do, and I'm going to take all my tips from him.
1: Dude, have you seen these automatic mower, robot mower things?
0: No, but that makes it, it makes a lot of sense that technology would be applied that way. I'm, Jared, you know, not to be too pop culture heavy here, but we are pretty quickly on the Wall-E timeline. We're all just going to be sitting around in hover. Chairs while robots bring us bring us uh, slurpees and and pizza. I mean, it's we're not far from that.
1: That's true. I would love a robot. A robot to bring me Slurpee and pizza. I ate pizza tonight and for lunch.
0: You are the enemy, my friend. You're the one who's going to secede. Excuse me, secede. You're going to forfeit human autonomy to to the robots. And I'll be here to say, hey, listen to our podcast, Jared. We
1: covered all this. We did. We prophesied. All right,
0: all right profit more. I'm going to bring to a close this episode of.
1: What you watching? What you watching? What you watching?
0: And we'll get into... So
1: sorry to
0: interrupt! So I got a few things to throw at you and so sorry to interrupt here, Jared. Did you see the note that Netflix is developing new chronicles of Narnia movies? I did. I saw that. So I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you that my brain is running on two contradictory tracks, and you tell me which one I should major on, okay? Sure. Here's why I feel positive about this news. Netflix puts real money and real talent behind their projects. And this already has a producer attached to it. I can't remember his name. I want to say David Moore. Maybe it's David Gordon. But the producer that's already attached to this is the guy who did Saving Private Ryan and and several movies that that we would recognize and and many of which I'm assuming we enjoyed. So Netflix knows how to do this. Um, Do you know the name Douglas Gresham? Uh Uh-uh. Well, Lewis is... Uh, kind of a layman subject for me, and I've I try to read everything I get my hands on about him. Um, so through that, I I'm, I met Grisham. Uh He's Lewis's stepson, and he has been very vocal and. um <laughs> Uh, animated, I guess, is the right word uh, about his relationship to Lewis. He takes it very seriously that he that he knew C.S. Lewis and that he had a relationship with him, and that Lewis's legacy needs to be protected. And Mm -hmm. so one of the things I first heard Douglas Gresham associated with is that, uh, I don't know if you know this or not, but Lewis lived for a number of years with an older woman that he was the caretaker for. She was the mother of uh, someone that he was in the service with who got killed, and Lewis kept her in his home until she died. And she was a burden to him, at least in her older years. You know, people have speculated about what the relationship was like when they were younger, but... In her older years, Lewis's brother said that she just constantly harped on Lewis and demanded that he serve her and whatnot. So Gresham has been very vocal saying that, you know, put away any suspicions you have that when they were younger, um, that, that Lewis was involved in, a, uh, you know, the the kind of relationship you would speculate about between a man and a woman who lived together for a long time. He said that that's not it, that, that Jack was just being honorable and looking after this woman. So again, he's he's someone who takes seriously the need to guard Lewis's legacy, and he seems to be enthusiastic about this project. Netflix quoted him in their release, and um, he seemed he seemed to be quite happy with this. So those two things kind of chip in and make me go, okay, okay, this can be a good thing. Um, Here's the negative side. So, one, Netflix has been very clear about their commitment to promote inclusion and diversity, uh, specifically in their original programming. They hired a lady uh, named Verna Myers as vice president of inclusion of inclusion strategy. She's a Harvard graduate and she's her role is to help. And this is a quote, help devise and implement strategies that integrate cultural diversity, inclusion, and equity into all aspects of Netflix's operations worldwide. And I'm sure, like me, you hear that, and you hear a lot of coded words for uh, normalizing homosexuality and other aspects of of uh, what we would call the progressive agenda that are untenable to Christians. Well, that stuff has been showing up, so this is second part of my negative brain on the Chronicles of Narnia News. Netflix has used their children's programming, uh, including adaptations of existing franchises, to push specifically the normalization of homosexual behavior. Did you ever look at their Anne of Green Gables series? I think it was called Anne with an E. I didn't. There's an episode in that where uh, I think it's one of Anne's aunts turns out to have been a lesbian. Um, they Netflix is rebooting She-Ra. It's, it's planned to have gay characters in it. Uh, their Voltron reboot in season four reveals that one of the main characters is gay in sort of this flashback. And they have this original series that I would otherwise be really interested in watching called The Dragon Prince. Mm-hmm. And they've been very clear, the people creating the Dragon Prince have been very clear that they're going to include homosexual characters. That drives me crazy. Yeah, me too. So so Jared, you tell me, which which side of my divided brain should I lean into? Should I feel like winter is turning into spring? Because Aslan's on the move and the the Chronicles of Narnia adaptation by Netflix is gonna be great? Or should I feel like a guy who just watched some of the most important books, uh, I guess in my life, sold out for so much Turkish delight?
1: I think you can be cautiously optimistic, but I think you're going to be disappointed if not with the first one, it will be with one down the road.
0: So you think maybe they wade into the waters, try to get people on board and then push the um, inclusion and diversity a little bit heavier in the third or fourth one? What
1: What I think will happen at the very least, they will have a character that may be that way, like you won't know. And they'll reveal it later on down the road. Like you know, it might be six months, maybe a year. It may, you know, yeah. uh, at the very least, it'll be something like that.
0: Well, that's exactly what they did with Voltron. You know, they got these they got these characters in front of people, got people invested in them. And in season four, kind of pull this fast one on them. I heard about it from a guy in my church who was like, Hey, man, did you know this has happened? And our family's been watching it. And, you know, what do we do? Mm. Um, This is not a full endorsement of this other podcast, but Sound of Sanity is a podcast that's put out by Warhorn Media. And I check in from time to time to see what they have going on. And uh, in the middle of September, and then this week, they released two episodes focusing on Netflix one was called the horror of Netflix and the other was called no really Netflix is evil I think is the right way uh, I think it, that's the accurate title and they specifically mentioned how one of the hosts there said like I've been watching Voltron with my family for multiple seasons and there's this scenario where you know a parent sits down and watches Voltron and says hey look we've we've done our due diligence this is safe for our family to watch um, and I say safe that's the wrong word this is you you know, this is acceptable and conforms with the discipleship strategy of our home. And you just walk out of the room one day in season four and you, or you're out in the garage and think, hey, it's no big deal. The kids are watching Voltron mm-hmm. and all of a sudden the kid that, you know, they've been the character they've been looking up to is saying goodbye to his boyfriend or whatever.
1: Yeah. It's pretty insidious. Uh, that is, man. That is big time. Yeah. And uh, I wonder if that's something will be. You know, I mean that—that's like this show. This creeped out. I assume, so I'm going to try to watch every episode before I let my kids watch it. Yeah. Um, just because I assume with the moral lessons, there'll be something, you know, along those lines of acceptance of whatever, whoever self-identify. There'll be something, um, about that. I think. Um, um, I hope I'm wrong, but it's just it's everywhere, and you know, there's no. There's no opposing it. The people who are who don't agree with it are those who are evil and bigots and all this baloney um you know.
0: well, thankfully, there is opposing it. you know, I don't think either one of us cowers in fear right um but right. it just. You can't ever let your guard down, which, you know, we're on board with. We would say that's the right way to approach media anyway. But it's just, mm-hmm. um, I don't know, it does feel like you're fighting the whole world. And I guess in this
1: sense, we're definitely fighting a world system. So Yeah, we, we are. And it's, it's pure peer pressure. That's what's so frustrating is that it's a naked morality that is built on literally nothing but popular opinion. Um, Shifting
0: moment by moment, historically novel. Yeah. You know, we're still uh, in, in, who knows what the future holds, but we're still very much in a situation where the vast, vast, vast majority of people who have ever lived anywhere on the globe at any time in history prior to like 1955 would agree that our morality is broken. And yet we feel like we have to. You know everything has to be brought in line, or
1: uh, it is itself immoral. It's just mm-hmm. it's upside down land. <clears throat> it is. Hey, hey, I, let me let me give one to you, man. Hey, did you see that Robert Gagnon is now a Baptist and he's teaching at Houston Baptist University? Hey, look,
0: more power to him. That's wonderful. I the kids in my circle, either through the school or through our church. I'm telling every one of them to look at Houston Baptist, man. Piercy's out there, uh, Gagnon. I mean, that faculty they are building out there is world class. So no, I didn't see that. I'm thrilled to hear that Gagnon has finally come to understand that the Bible teaches credo baptism. Come at me, my paedo friends, listening. Um,
1: Listen. And
0: if he's at, well, just to finish the thought, if he's at Houston Houston Baptist,
1: uh, I'm over the moon with that. They are doing good things out there. So he was at Pittsburgh Seminary, which was a Presbyterian PCUSA. And he said, so Andrew Walker asked him, said, are you becoming a Baptist And Gagnon replied, yes, Andrew, my view of baptism has always been Baptist ever since I became a Christian in a conservative Baptist church in Manchester, New Hampshire at the age of 17. And he provides a link. Dude, I didn't know he was a Baptist. Me either, but again, just good to see that the principles of the
0: Reformation and Sola Scriptura have worked themselves out appropriately in that man's life, and he's come to see that the Bible teaches credo baptism. That's awesome, man. I'll awesome, yeah. wait your hate tweets, uh, Pedro Baptist <laughs> friends. <clears throat> I've got a buddy that we're we're in a running conversation about this right now, and I'm, you know, I'm just trying to gouge him. I'm saying, well, you know, you know, Baptists are the consistent, uh, we're, we're the ones who make consistent application of the principles of the Reformation. He yeah. delights to hear that. He's overjoyed every time I raise that point. Jared, we're also in uh, the early days of October here. Uh you mentioned something last episode that I thought we might explore here. So it's, you know, scary movie season right now. You think we disagree about the recent movie from A24 called Hereditary. Uh what do you think we disagree about that movie? Um <clears throat> I did not like it. Um, did you like it? That's a really tough question actually. Uh I I'm I guess I'm not I'm not regretful that I watched it. I don't know if that qualifies for like it. I I can't imagine I will ever watch that movie again
1: though. Okay. And so yeah, I can agree. I can agree with it. Well, yeah, I can agree with that.
0: Yeah. I, I mean, I think that movie is is really pretty. You know, the cinematography is really well done. I think Tony Collette did an incredible job with her facial expressions. Yeah. Um, I thought the the, the story was, was fairly fresh. You know, I, I I hadn't seen a horror movie like that before. Um, I won't ever forget that movie, I don't think. But in my mind, I wouldn't tell somebody, yeah, I like that movie. I kind of feel... I mean, this is a weird comparison, but I kind of feel like the Passion of the Christ. You know, there, there's probably not an alternative universe where I don't see that movie, but I've never went back to it again either, and I can't imagine I'm ever going to. Does that
1: hmm. make sense? It does. It does. Um, that there were some parts of the movie though, I felt they they were trying to <clears throat> shock you. Like I don't know. I don't like. I don't like trying to be shocked and I thought there there were plot holes. I, I did not understand did you understand why everybody or why ninety percent of the cult people were naked?
0: Yeah. I, I you know I don't know how much we want to get into this. That's one of the things about that movie that was interesting to me. The the lore that they drew on to tell the story. Um, I, I think they they were They were careful to do their research and build elements into the movie that reflect, you know, the historical facts surrounding the, uh, I mean, I don't know if this is a spoiler, but the demonic character they feature. And so I guess for me, it was kind of fun to go back after watching that movie and like Google and read Wikipedia articles and see what other people had noticed. Like, that's why I say I, I don't regret that I watched that movie and I can even admire some parts of it. I have told people, you know, who've asked me, should I go watch that movie? And I've tried to give them the strokes and say, I think it's an interesting movie, but I can't tell you that you won't come out going, gosh, I don't know what I think about that. And I've just tried to be really qualified in what I've, I've said to people about that movie. So, so i figured some of that stuff out part of figuring some of that stuff out was you know how i enjoyed the movie but again i don't know that i would well i know for sure that i wouldn't say that that leads me to the to the point where i'm going to watch that movie again i don't think i would enjoy that movie on a second watch uh, i do think for people who care and their conscience will allow them it might be worth watching one time
2: mm-hmm. Does
0: that make sense yeah, yeah. So I don't know if that means I like the movie or not. I guess I can appreciate some aspects of the movie, but uh, yeah, I don't know that I like it. Uh, so maybe we agree more than than we thought.
2: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Excuse
0: me. So we're also talking about scary movies. We're into the first few days of our 31 Days of Horror. Uh, you got any feedback from that yet, Jared? I know that there's been some comments on the Pathio site. Uh, anything you want to respond to here on the podcast?
1: Um. Yeah. Some have wondered about the, the thing being on there being too gory. Um, we covered that a little bit in our last episode, but just because we, we view that gore as that of an alien and not of a human. So we didn't really consider it as gory as others do. Um, and I mean, these lists are arbitrary too. Um, and there were some others that were mentioned, some that were, you know, some asked "Does horror glorify God. And, uh, you know I mean the presumption is of course not right that's yeah. the that's a presumption but it, but it's a messy mixture just just like anything um not anything but most things in this life are a mess, messy mixture of of sin and grace certainly film genres yeah yeah and and um our job as christians i believe is to i mean i'm a uh, i guess a reformed uh, transformationationist is that right transform, transform. oh you tell me trying to think of what that transformationalist would be I think the correct term yeah transformationalist um so basically I believe God owns all things um, there is I believe I do believe there are two kingdoms, man's kingdom and God's kingdom or the common kingdom and the redemptive kingdom, but that there is one Lord ruling over both kingdoms, and that part of my job as a Christian is to take everything that belongs to Christ, which is everything, and to return it back to him to show the world that, no, 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 the unbelievers are trying to take this and steal it and say it belongs to them. No, it doesn't. It belongs to my God. It belongs to Jesus Christ. And so part of what we're doing, and so when we watch a horror movie or when we watch football or anything, um, I'm trying to show, at least as I discern and and watch and enjoy, I'm not trying to enjoy a, um, a horror movie as an unbeliever. I'm trying to enjoy it as a Christian, a Christian who realizes that Christ owns everything good, um, and redemptive about this movie. The most of these movies are arguing that good conquers evil. Why? Why do they long for that? Well, we um, say most the the horror movies that you and I resonate with. Yeah, yeah, the ones that we put on there. Um, on most the thirty one days
0: of horror list is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Um, and most of them, except for that Denzel Washington one, Fallen. Um, but it is very thought provoking. <clears throat> um, but, you know, our goal is to <clears throat> going back to does horror glorify God? Um, the answer is yes and no. And, um, you know, if, if you're watching something as a Christian or even if you're in your job and someone is, you know, you're around, if you eat with sinners, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, you, you have to do what we're doing. When we eat with sinners, we're just we're just uh, participating in their art, you know, by watching their art. Um, it's a, it's very similar it's a very same thing like if you were eating with sinners what would you do um, you need to be able to eat with sinners and uh, I, you know I, I, I pray it's awesome that people have sensitive consciences um, I believe my son is going to have a sensitive conscience and I don't want to I don't want to chip away at that but eventually as he matures he needs to realize that he's going to have to eat with sinners and um, we all need to be able to eat with sinners and so um that but that's how i view popular cultures that we are participating in the art that sinners are creating and they're not just sinners they're image bearers and they've got the fingerprints of god on their artwork and i would argue that the reason why the awesome movies are awesome and the reason why other image bearers are drawn to it <clears throat> is because of the fingerprints of god mm. that are on those movies they're un you cannot an image bearer cannot make something that appeals to other image bearers you know, I mean, there, of course, there are exceptions. Sin, sinfulness also appeals to sinners. Um, but man, there is so much good stuff out there, and it is the common grace of God. It, God is the one drawing people, it's that people long for God and they long for his fingerprints. And I know that's a long, rambling thing, but, um, we have, I hope our listeners know that y- you and I have not, we're not willy nilly watching horror movies. You, you know what I'm saying? Like, for sure. We we try to think seriously about this. We're we're trying <clears throat> we're trying to do what Paul did in Acts 17 when he's reading and quoting pagan poets. When he sees he goes around um Athens, Greece and sees all these false gods all over the place and he sees one to the unknown god and he says, "Oh, and he takes that one, and says, I want to preach to you about this one that you do not know." And I mean, how how do you do that? How do you do that unless you go around observing all the idols? And uh, anyway, I, uh, that this is all ad lib, but um, you know, I didn't I didn't write any of this down, but I'm just trying to think out loud of that question: Does horror glorify God? And it's a messy mixture. And I believe you can glorify God as you participate. I believe you take what is good and and think on the things that are good and recognize the things that are evil and be more thankful for the gospel because oftentimes they get it wrong and if they do rip it off um you know they they don't rip it off well and i'm it, it makes me more thankful for the lord and
0: right right um i, I appreciate the, you explaining that uh to me and our listeners um you know augustine had that famous image of the egyptians gold and i would encourage anybody listening to this to go google that he says that you know when the when the Israelites left Egypt, and God caused the Egyptians to throw their their gold uh, to the Egypt, to the Israelites as they walked out, um, that that gold was properly the inheritance of the children of God. And so Augustine takes that as a metaphor and says, "What you find in culture that's good and true and beautiful, that's the inheritance of the children of God. So go mm-hmm. get it and make better use of it." Right. Yeah. And of course the Israelites built uh statues to false gods out of it. Yeah. Uh, but also that money lines Israel's treasury, you know, the Royal Reserve. And so uh mm-hmm. that's what he's arguing for. And I think you're right that Paul did a version of this because you cited, you know, there in Acts seventeen. He's quoting from Epimenides, and it's uh it's a work called The Critica. And the Critica is a poem about Zeus. Mm-hmm. And it's about Zeus that Epimenides said, "For in him we live and move and have our being."
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, you know, another poet, Aratus, um, he he said something similar. And so, what that tells me is that Paul was reading these pagans mm-hmm. and he was reading this literature dedicated to false gods, and he was saying, "You know what? They've got some ideas there that properly belong to those who know the living God."
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely. And um, I mean, Jesus, Jesus did something. Similar, at least, I mean, it's similar in that he was aware of his culture when he refers to the Pharisees as hypocrites. Hmm, um, I'm pretty, sh- I'm pretty sure he's making a reference to the, the, um, yeah, the actors, the theater, um, which would have been X-rated. Um, I'm not saying that Jesus watched, went to the theater, or that um, he
0: would watch X-rated material now. I mean, right? Yeah, we don't want right. to say anything like that.
1: No, no. Um, but he was aware of the theater, and he was aware of what was going on there. Um, he at least had enough idea and understanding of his local culture, um, and I, you know uh, he's f- fully human. I realize he's f- he's fully God as well, but we we believe concerning his humanity that he's learning these things, um, and that he learned um, well by well by hanging out with sinners, and um, and they did not corrupt him. You know he was still sinless, even though he was around them um, and participating in their culture in many ways, or at least aware of what they were doing um so that he could answer them but
0: I'm very much with you uh, again Christians have had this conversation forever so if you go to the church fathers they're saying you cannot go to the theater as a Christian so I get it you know there's not a proof text that settles the issue but what you're communicating and what I think we're trying to model in the show is that we do want to know what the pagan poets are saying. We want to use that to talk with our neighbors uh, and we want to do that specifically to say here's how you can understand the gospel uh, not fully, but here's how you can understand the gospel to some degree through the material you've already you've already accessed you know that that you don't even know it, but the some of the stuff you love in the movies and books and mm-hmm. songs you're listening to you love them because you're made in the image of God, and in some oh, way sure. that that work reflects it so yeah.
1: And they long for God. I mean, that's what they're longing for. They think they want a movie, um, but they're longing for something greater, something so much greater. Absolutely. Well,
0: Jared, we're we're talking about a movie that I think sort of in similar fashion to, to what we've just been talking about in terms of why would you watch a horror movie? I think there's a lot of people out there who would say, why would you watch a movie about Venom? And, you know, Venom sold itself. As uh, a movie about anti heroes. And so before we get into the review of the movie proper, I'm just going to raise that question again. Why do you think anti heroes are so popular? They've always been around. You know, go back and show me the first anti hero. Um, I don't know, maybe Samson, but before him, Gilgamesh, uh, Odysseus, by the time you get to the Odyssey. Although I think Odysseus was more in line with the culture of his time. Nonetheless, he's a guy who, you know, he's happy to, to, uh, for instance he's happy to to cheat on his wife but then fully expect her to be faithful to him you know so it's not like anti heroes are a new phenomenon but they sure seem to have bloomed in the last i don't know it, it's less than 20 years you know maybe late 90s early 2000s why do you think our age is so obsessed with the anti hero
1: um i think because that's they want realism they want someone they can be and you know that I think most people want, at least in their head, want to be good. They know that they can't be good. And so they want to be good the way that venom is good, I guess. You know, they want to kind of have their cake and eat it, too. So uh, the idea there is that, you know, we know ourselves. We know
0: that we're a bag of contradictions and that there's some moral ideals we assume, and even pursue, but then there's some cases where we just want to throw off the moral restraints, and that leads people to see that... Um, representation in a movie or a book or whatever as more realistic, more like the reality they're living in?
1: Am I understanding you right there? Yeah, none of us can be Superman. None of us can be as as moral as Superman. But maybe we can be as moral as Venom. Like it's more realistic or um, Tony Stark. I, I mean, these guys that – and I know he's not necessarily the – you know, he's not the anti-hero, um, like the, the punisher, vigilante justice. Um, well, yeah. You know, so,
0: Tony Stark, you know, if you're a believer who subscribes to the traditional ethic of scripture, you're going to see Tony Stark as deeply morally compromised. Right, right. He's just not seen as particularly awful in our current cultural moment.
1: Right. But I resonate more with Stark than I do Captain America. Um, and I love Captain America and I love Superman. Um, but I resonate more with Batman um, just because I know that I'm, I'm a super
0: sever- rich billionaire who's incredibly fit, who <laughs> runs around <laughs> at night beating up
1: on people. Yes. Huh. I'm se- something new every day. Severely flawed. Um, and uh, I don't know. I identify with with um, with them man, more than I do with some of these others. But um, I think we all want to be Superman, but we know we're not.
0: Yeah. Do you think that, do you think that rooting for an antihero gives us an excuse to not rise to our ideals? Yes. So I can watch a guy like Tony Stark do the right thing in the broadest sense. Like he, you know, somebody pointed out that in every one of the movies that uh, Stark is in as an Avenger, he's willing to die for the sake of protecting innocent lives. And he's carrying a missile off. He's running up into space. I mean, he's, He's very self-sacrificial in that way, and we would say ultimately that's that's good. Mm
2: -hmm. But
0: that also kind of excuses the womanizing and the self-centeredness and um, profiteering and all that. And so, you, so I, I guess my theory, and maybe you've already said yes, you agree, is that we can look at a guy like Tony Stark and say to ourselves, you know, whatever my vice is. Uh, bad language, uh, drink too much, spend my money foolishly. You know, sneak lustful looks at women. Whatever that thing is, it, it's kind of justified by the fact that I'm I'm generally in all the things that really matter a good person. You know, I'm not cheating on my wife or stealing money from my neighbor. I've never killed anybody. You know, I'm not racist.
1: So yes, yeah, you agree with that? Not- yeah, I think that's why people identify with these more so, um, because that's what I mean by more realistic in the sinful world. I mean, if you're going to get a hero, this is who they are largely. I don't want to be cynical, but, um, but we all need, we all need Jesus. We all, we all you are constantly reminded of, um, that we're not, well, we're not Superman. We're not the ideal man, you know, mm-hmm. um, the ideal, um, always doing the right thing. I mean, I, I feel like I I don't always do the right thing. I want to do the right thing, but I don't... And I don't always do the right thing, you know? Well, and I guess to my earlier speculation, I'm going to ask you this. I'm just
0: going to put myself on the record first, though, and say it's definitely true of me. Do you ever find yourself when you've done something that you uh, know is inappropriate for a Christian, but maybe is more low-key, something that's not as available to the eyes of men? Do you ever find yourself trying to self-justify by saying, eh, you know, this is a problem, but it's not. it's not as morally egregious as... X, Y, Z, because I guess that's what I'm afraid. I see it in my own heart and I see, I think in some ways, anti-heroes give us the excuse to do that in our minds. You know, I'm basically, I'm a good guy. I may do this, that, and the other, but you know, on everything that really major of major importance, I'm doing the right thing.
1: Do you, do you resonate with any of that? Is that just me? Um, I don't resonate with that, um, so much because I'm, I don't know. I'm, um, if anything, I'm, I don't know. I, I don't I don't self don't self justify. Um, I mean, I consider myself a scoundrel most of the time. But uh, even when you know, if, if anything, it's difficult for me to believe grace. Um, you know, I'm kind of on the other other side a little bit on some of that. But uh, but well, I well, I'll tell you how I, twisted I am on the self justifying. <laughs> I identify I, with these guys because they're because i i can't identify with these perfect men like superman and captain america yeah
0: yeah, yeah. Just to you know, finish that thought from a minute ago, and to put all my terribleness on full display, <laughs> I am the kind of guy who will self-justify by thinking, "Oh yeah, you think of yourself as a sinner." Like that's a way for me to say, well, "You know, you're not morally deceived like everybody else." I'm I'm very good at finding alternative sources of justification that ultimately won't save. Um, so. I guess, you know, as I was thinking about this question for myself, getting ready here, I'm going to throw this at you and you do with it what you want. I think antiheroes are popular historically, but particularly so right now uh, because they give us the ability, at least we think they do, to do or at least to acknowledge what we all know to be good and right. You you shouldn't pick on innocent people. You shouldn't take people's stuff. People who are predatory are bad people. So they give us a way to acknowledge that. But they also let us reject specific authority. So we kind of say, yeah, everybody knows generally don't be mean to people. but And we're happy to sort of acknowledge that as a general principle but we want to reject anything more specific and and definitely anything more personal. So I may want to reject because I'm anti-authoritarian and I'm sinful. I want to reject the government and the judicial system. And I want to reject my parents or, you know, if I'm a spouse, I'm a wife, I want to reject the authority of my husband or the elders at my church. If, you know, I'm a member of the church. Ultimately, I want to reject God's specific personal authority to tell me what to do and what not to do. So I I want to, you know I want to look at the anti-hero and say see he doesn't need any authority to tell him what to do he just goes and does what's right and what's needful and it, it becomes this mechanism for us to be saint and sinner and feel justified about it and again i'm I'm using the language of justification but I think that's I think that's what's going on here you can say yeah he's a good person but he doesn't have to bend to any external authority
1: yeah i mean it's the it's the I'm still a hero though I'm you know severely flawed in rebellion i mean yeah I mean that's the I mean, that's the, that's the Punisher. That's the, uh, what was that game that we used to play back in the day? Um, Max Payne.
0: (laughs) I forgotten about Max Payne. I was trying to think of some VeggieTales game or something. (laughs) I must've been off praying while you were playing Max Payne. And that's why I don't remember it. Oh my goodness.
1: Remember what I said about self-justifying? Yes. (laughs) There's no way. You're probably the one who introduced me to Max Payne. (laughs) That's entirely
0: possible. Yeah. (laughs) I got no defense against that. I'm pretty sure
1: I introduced you to Resident Evil. I know that. Yeah, I think so. We played some scary games. I still enjoy those games. I say those games. I've only played like one in the past 10 years, but um, that was one of my first terrifying video games was the original Resident Evil.
0: Oh, actually, it was Resident Evil 2. I remember playing it at your house. And when some dogs jumped through a window, um, we flew back in horror. It, it was <laughs> it was Resident Evil two on the PlayStation, buddy. That's how far back we go when dinosaurs are on the earth. Talk about Jurassic Park. For real. Um, okay, so antiheroes in some ways sort of capture the dichotomy between being fallen but also made in the image of God. Yes. All right. Well, let's let's use that as a good time to transition into this movie that builds itself as about antiheroes. And uh, Jared, I think both of us came away from Venom kind of liking the movie, right? I mean, it got killed by critics. But we found it fairly enjoyable, and it seems like the audience's response to the movie has been much more positive than than critics. Am I right on that? We thought it was okay, yeah, absolutely. I say okay, I'm not saying we're we're morally endorsing it, but just as a comic book movie, we weren't repulsed right right all right so um, let me give you this synopsis on the movie, and we can talk about it a little bit more. Uh, After that, so Eddie Brock is a down on his luck journalist who comes in contact with an alien life form that grants him supernatural powers, albeit at a pretty significant cost. And Eddie has to navigate not only dealing with this new intelligence that's living inside of his body, but also uh, the villainy of uh, a specific adversary. I don't know any other way to say it without giving away plot details. How how would you modify that? That sounds great. Yeah, okay. All right. Uh conscience warning just up front.
1: Yeah, um there's some pretty heavy kissing that goes on. Um there's a you know, Eddie and his girlfriend. Um I think they're I think they're it's his fiance, but you know, they they it's obvious they end up sleep they sleep together. Yeah. Um I mean it doesn't show anything, but you're aware of what happened. Right. Uh, right. And um there's a lot of language. Um there's a lot of violence and it, it's scary I mean, I thought it was scary, especially at the beginning.
0: Yeah, I you know, we'll talk about that more maybe a little bit here in a minute, but there's been some speculation about when the first superhero horror movie will come out. The uh, There's an upcoming project on the New Mutants that some people are saying will be a horror movie, and it'll also be a superhero movie. And um, Venom, I think, really gets there pretty regularly and does a pretty good job of it. Like it has classic horror movie elements to it. Yeah. Um, Yeah, you said there's a lot of language Uh, Obviously foul language is part of this movie And it is violent And specifically, I I don't know It is played sort of comedic in the movie But specifically consuming humans Is a major, I don't know Aspect of the Venom character in this movie Which is true to the comics, I guess But anyway, cannibalism is uh, very much front and center in this movie Watch out for it. It's in this movie. Anything else you can think of? No, I think that's it. Um, We did notice that there was, uh, like in the movie The Predator, there was a repetition of this idea that human life is going to end within a generation because of global warming. Yeah. Seems like a theme that's running through uh, summer movies this year, strangely enough. Uh, I think that about covers it for the conscience warning. One of the reasons that this movie I think got killed by critics, but ends up not being uh graphically odious, right, with lots of violence and gore and um, maybe even more sexual content is because the studio made a decision to edit this thing down pretty heavily. I mean there's there's a lot of implied violence that's not shown on screen. You know, every time Venom goes to eat somebody, he uh there's a cutaway basically. You don't really see him consume humans.
2: Mm-hmm. Or
0: if there's some kind of uh human casualty gore doesn't hit the hit the camera lens or the wall behind them. It it's kind of sanitized in that way. Yeah, it is. I think I, oh go ahead. I didn't notice that, but now that you pointed it out, yeah. Well, the thing the reason I'm aware of it is because there's been so much outrage online that this movie didn't get an R rating. And it's because they edited it to avoid the R rating. Um, I just don't have... I don't have a lot of sympathy for people who are really pandering after R-rated comic book movies. Um, I mean, I know Deadpool has made a lot of money as an R-rated comic book movie. I know that Logan made a lot of money that way too. But I also think that comic books are inherently made in a way that appeals to children, and that you know, if you as a as an adult who grew up enjoy, enjoying reading these books, but because now you're 25, 35, 45, you feel like it's got to have an R rating to justify your interest or whatever. I just don't, I don't have any traction with that. I just think that you're looking to the wrong medium for what you need. And so these people who are up in arms about it being edited away from R. I mean, guys, this is a movie based on comic books sold to kids, and you probably got into this character when you were a kid. Not everything has to go for the for the hard R. And I, maybe I'm alienating some people by saying that, but I just think it's it's asking the wrong question. You know those claymation uh, cartoons that show up around Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer and Frosty mm-hmm. the Snowman and all that. I-, I feel like clamoring for R-rated comic books is the same. Like it'd be the same as wanting an R-rated Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. It's just, it's a dumb idea. And if you need that
1: one, I just, I can't track with you. Yeah. Yeah, I agree, man. I, I don't understand it either because it's – I mean, I, I didn't even like that the comic book they gave away at the theater had cuss words in it. I brought it home and read through – I was wanting to give it to my kids, and I read through a page or two and threw it away.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I left mine at the theater. Um, I mean, that doesn't make me kind of moral champion. I just – I realized that thing didn't need to come into my house. Um, so, I, I'm good with the the way they edited this movie. I thought it was – full of action, plenty dark for, you know, for a character who kind of needs a darker palette, not mm-hmm. just in terms of the actual palette of the movie, but the themes of the story. And, uh, I, yeah, I was satisfied. Now I know that, um, Tom Hardy though, he said that, you know, a bunch of the stuff that he liked about this movie was edited out and that he'd love to see a, you know, director's edition or an expanded edition, uh, and which I'm cool with too. You know, when you're selling it, direct to uh home audiences and you say look you can get the theatrical cut or you can go over here and buy this extended edition give people the the choice i'm cool with that but uh anyway i'm uh, i'm just quite happy that they they took the editorial direction they did and it sounds like you are as well
1: oh yeah i am man i am because it yeah, it doesn't need to be an R rating. Um, I mean, this is Spider-Man. How many Spider-R rated Spider-Man movies are there, you know? Yeah, and, and why would we need one?
0: Why, yeah. What is it about the R rating that enhances the story? I, I don't understand that. And maybe somebody out there listening wants to be like, well, here, let me tell you poop. and I'd be glad to hear that. You can get at us on Twitter, Facebook. Uh, I'd love to hear that. I'm, I'm willing to be proven wrong, but it just, you know, on my first examination of the issue, I can't see any reason to, to clamor for that. Uh, Jared getting more Analysis: We go through the worldview questions of creation, fall, redemption, and glorification because that's how God tells His story in cosmic history. He made a good world. He watched that creation uh, fall into the consequences of their rebellion against Him. Sin, death, disorder entered into the good creation, but God remains committed to His purposes. He sends an agent of redemption, His precious Son, Jesus Christ, who accomplishes all that His Father gave Him to do. And this beautiful new world, uh, this glorified new creation is a product of Jesus's faithful work of redemption. So we want to know how the stories we're looking at in these movies reflect God's ultimate story. And with that in mind, Jared, what do you see as creational goodness in this movie?
1: Uh, there, There's a clear good and clear evil, uh, largely, but. Um, Like you said, there's the anti-hero, and he's only going to kill bad people. Um, That's a very subjective bad people, though, right? It is. It is a very subjective bad people. Um, But, uh, you know, the hero does have a conscience. conscience, He's not as uh, evil as he could be. He's not as evil as others are. Um, So subjective morality. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, it's not... I mean it's more it's more true to real life, I guess you could say you know there's flawed heroes, basically, yeah,
0: I mean, I think rooted in ultimate, unshakable objective moral truth is that Eddie Brock sees it as a good thing to tell the truth as a as an investigative journalist, mm-hmm. he has a conscience about not um basically using his platform to to sell propaganda but to to do good in the world. I think that's ultimately reflective of the creational goodness of truth um you know he there's something redemptive about his relationship to his fiance Uh, who ends up not being his fiancée by the end of the movie. But there is a single-mindedness about his uh, affections for her that looks very broken and a poor reflection of the kind of uh, monogamous commitment that an upright man makes to one woman in the bonds of matrimony. Um, Again, this movie does a a poor job of modeling it, but you can just sort of see a little bit of it. And yeah, this movie has a moral code. Preying on innocent people, uh, we would agree with this movie— is a bad thing. Bullies are bad. And those who take advantage of the weak and the marginalized are the kind of people who should be opposed. So I guess that's the creational goodness I see here. that This movie reflects to some degree. Anything about Eddie's moral code I'm missing there, though? I don't believe so. I think you got it.
1: Okay. We'll fall in this. I think
0: there's a lot that's fallen in this movie.
1: Yeah. Using using humans in the name of the greater good, um, being willing to kill the innocent um, in the name of... You know, this guy had a God complex. The bad guy in the movie, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, not Eddie, but but yeah, the bad guy, definitely. And I mean... (sighs) It, I mean, you fe- you really felt... I mean, he viewed them... He viewed the poor and sick as almost like lab rats or something. Mm-hmm. Even Very much so. I mean, how cold and calloused he was.
0: Yeah. I mean, we talked about C.S. Lewis earlier. One of my favorite works of fiction is his Space Trilogy. And in the first two books of that series, Out of the Silent Planet and Perelandra, you meet these two characters, Divine and Weston. And at one point... Um the the most malicious of the two gets a dressing down from this angelic being who who represents the living God. and he tells him like, you're a specially kind of twisted person because you think you're serving humanity, but all you're really doing through your noble mindedness about you know, perpetuating the race is you're just trying to say, because I'm associated with this group, it should continue. And he's really laid bare under the um you know the the cutting remarks of this being I, I think the bad guy in this movie looks a lot like the bad guy in Paralandra. He's you said he's a god complex. He has a God complex and he certainly does. He's got a lot of lofty ideas, but it's lofty ideas that serve the purpose of glorifying him and exalting mm-hmm. his His stature, you know, at one point he, it was interesting in the middle of the movie, he's talking to one of these lab rats and he says to him, he he starts with the biblical story of Abraham and Isaac and he makes this accusation that God abandoned creation. And so man has to take it, take up their own Mm self-interest. And he says, I won't abandon us this time. Like he kind of, you know, it's not subtle, but the, the writer's letting you know, this guy's already thinking of himself as the God who will redeem. Yeah, absolutely. You know, more subtly, Jared, I would say the... The fallenness in this movie is the moral relativism. You know, it's Mm. the it's the thing running under the surface. So Venom is supposed to be the good guy because he stands up against oppressors. He stands up against those who victimize the marginalized. But that's supposed to be perfectly acceptable. Uh, over and against the fact that this is a guy who has no regard for God's created order in terms of how a man relates to a woman, exactly. p- specifically sexually, it you know it can overlook him using people. I mean, one of the big crises of the movie, he uses his fiancee to advance his cause. Which I guess the movie kind of says ultimately through the consequences is a bad idea, but nonetheless, Eddie, Eddie is a user in his own way. And then, you know, it, it's perfect. I guess we're supposed to think that it's perfectly okay for this superhuman creature to not only destroy property, but to literally eat human beings. We're supposed to laugh and wink at that as long as he's, you know, at the end of the day, stopping bullies from bullying people. Mm -hmm. And I think that I think that really reflects the fallenness of our world uh, unintentionally, but very clearly.
1: Doesn't he eat a robber? Yeah. Yeah, he does. Yeah, so it's not retributive justice, right? It's not. I mean, I'm just I'm thinking out loud here. It's not.
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, he he initially even in that speech, you just see this like whose moral code are we listening to here anyway? Because this guy shows up to rob uh, a convenience store in his neighborhood and Venom stops him and he tells him, if you do this again, I'm going to take you apart. But then he says, you know what? Never mind. And he goes ahead and eats the guy. Yeah. Like, what's the moral perspective here? Was it the guy who was going to let him go? Or is it is it, well, he, you know, he forfeited his life because he pointed a gun at a shopkeeper? Who determines the moral weight of that action? Who determines that it's okay now for this monster to, to eat his body? It's just mm-hmm. a really, I mean, it's a lark. It's kind of fun to go watch Venom be meaner Spider-Man. But yeah. if you really want to think about this thing from a biblical perspective, the way it reflects just an arbitrary and subjective moralism is is pretty glaring. Yeah. And it's scary if you got somebody like that running around in it. Yeah. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's, you know, Venom is sort of Nietzsche. He can. Yeah. And so we're just happy that he he turns his destructive powers on people that we think are worse than us. Yeah. Good call. Um, I mean, redemption in this movie, at one point, Venom is willing to give his life to stop the bad guy from doing even worse things. That looks like a Christ who's willing to die on behalf of those
1: who deserve death yeah that and it's all it's kind of odd though like Venom we're talking about the symbiote is it symbiote yeah symbiote the symbiote um basically pragmatically says you know I was a loser on my planet I like it here better so I'm gonna help you (laughs) I I just that that flip that switch flipped a little too quick for me um in this that's a great point it's not yeah that's not particularly well set up in the in the story no and I, I assume it's because of the length of the movie like they wanted it to to, I don't know why they didn't give it like a normal Marvel movie.
0: Well, again, I think they edited a bunch of this down to avoid an R rating. But I almost wonder if that that whole arbitrary. I guess I like Earth now. I almost wonder if that's because they don't know any higher any higher standard to appeal to. Mm. You know, yeah. yeah. I guess I like it now. Um, you know, one of the one of the stories that came out of Columbine yeah that That really chills me, and I think it really speaks to how broken Eric Harris, uh, one of the one of the shooters, who was sort of the the mastermind, I guess, um, there was this other boy who he had been friends with for a number of years, but they'd gotten into a conflict over some vandalism and uh, a car, and so they had become enemies. And before Harris went into Columbine to shoot up the school, they had reconciled to some degree, and so the this this young man who had very recently been on you know Eric's hate list, was walking out of the school as Eric was walking in to start the massacre, and he told him, at least according to this student who's you know our age, so he's a man now, according to this man, Eric Harris told him, "Go home, I like you now." Oh my goodness. And the the guy did, actually. He said he just kept on walking. I think he went outside to smoke, but he just went on home. And you can imagine for him, that's a seminal moment. Like, what if I'd have just been like, he's joking, or I hadn't thought anything about it, or I told him, yeah, whatever, man. You know, he could have been one of the victims. And it's that arbitrariness and that that willingness to play God. That isn't just the bad guy in this movie, it's also Venom. You know, yeah. Venom's very much the guy who gets to say, hey, I like you now, go home. Yeah. Before he proceeds to to do morally broken things.
1: So is there, is there redemption in this movie, ultimately, you think, Jared? Well, I mean, America, yeah, not America, but the world is saved. Um, Earth is saved and billions of people. Yeah. Um So I I think there is, um, but there's still, like you said, this moral, this anti-hero who's going to be running around and uh, still eating people. Mm Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, so that you know what glorified world comes out of this, we do in the movie on a very happy note. You know, Eddie and the symbiote are figuring out how to you know live together. Um, you get the sense that Eddie's kind of got his groove back, and he's going to try to get his fiance, his ex fiance back. Um, he's going to go out there
1: and right wrongs. You know, I tell you, i you know we might talk about this later. I guess in what's fallen right like what's uh distorted evil and false later yeah, on yeah. yeah
0: well the the thing before we leave this glorified issue this glorification question um again we have a better world at the end of this movie but it is a movie that uh, excuse me it is a better world that really has to depend on us not looking too closely at the moral underpinnings of the film And so, yeah, friend, you do get a better world at the end of this movie, which I think is good. I think superhero movies should do that. Uh, But boy, it's it's very thin. So we'll put a pin there and we'll say we've done the worldview analysis. We've chopped this thing up. We'll start trying to put it back together in distinct categories to help Christians think through how to see the glory of God in this, but then also how to talk to their neighbors about what they see in this movie as maybe a pre-evangelization effort to to build bridges that will eventually pay off with an opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, In our analysis, we ask, what's the story? And we want to get it right. And so I think we've done that work in our worldview analysis. Uh, The next question, though, is where am I? And we want to see the style and shape of the imaginary world here. So, Jared, when you're watching this movie, how do you enter in? What's your
1: perspective as a as a member of the audience? I'm um, going in. You know, I would. Uh, I I do identify with Venom a lot. Um, I mean, my my I would say this: my flesh and it identifies with Venom a lot because it's, um, you know, think of us growing up, and you know, we've talked about a few times on here being bullied in school. You know, what would you do? What could you do? Um, not only that, but you think of the, like I, I'm in a community where you are too, where uh, drugs are just rampant and um, where lives are ruined, um, children are born ad- addicted to, with addictions. And, um, you know, how how could, we feel powerless to help people and to, you know, to be redemptive across the board and to help people get out of that lifestyle. but I don't know. I wonder how we could stop it, if you could ever stop it from the drugs from coming into your community. I mean, I, I know people's sinful hearts still find other things, but um, but anyway, I'm just I'm just kind of thinking out loud here that I do identify some with that vigilante justice desire um, and the desire for revenge and and all that. Um, that that's that just me. right. Well, to set things right according to my will, yeah. Um, I, of course, I'm never punishing myself, right? Um, or, <laughs> yeah. or, or, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not the bad. I'm not like you said, I'm not as bad as so and so. They need to be punished. Me, I need to, I need to, uh, I need grace. You know, they need wrath. Yeah, you know? yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, like picking and choosing who deserves wrath and who deserves grace. And uh, it's amazing how much you and I deserve grace, right?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um. But uh, but yeah, I, I identify with that. I th- I thought this was well shot. I thought the, again, I thought it was scary. I thought it was dark enough for what was emphasized. Um, and who I went in there wanting to see Venom on the big screen, and I and I got what I wanted. And um, again, I thought it was well done. I thought. I thought it was odd that Hardy, like you said, he acted, he seemed like mentally ill, you know, when he was first with a symbiote. I mean, I think he, through the whole movie, they played him like he was brain damaged. He yeah. had this
0: staccato vocalization and. Uh, you know, he was using his hands to gesture. Like he, he, he did look like a guy who'd had a massive head injury. I don't know. I don't know why that was the creative choice, but I thought that was odd.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That was, I mean, you know a lot more about the comic books than I do. Um, but yeah, I thought that was strange, but I mean, it didn't, it didn't annoy me. It was just like, I don't know. It was just weird. Um, but I enjoyed that. I enjoyed, you know, I enjoyed pretty much everything about the movie. Um, for the most part. Not everything, but, you know.
0: Yeah. Um, I did find it easy to root for Hardy's character. You know, they do a yeah. good job of making him a lovable loser. Um, and I didn't think he was a loser. Did you think he was a loser? Well, you know, we got that. He was ran out of New York and then yeah. he, he can't like tamp down his justice instincts. So he messes over his fiance and loses his career and, and the love of his life. And, you know, can't overcome yeah. that uh, at least for, for six months. I guess that's as long as you need to bounce back from traumatic life incidents. Yeah, for real. But in that sense, yeah, you know, loser in, in, in the way that he is the author of his own collapse. Gotcha. You're about knowing more about the comics. I've read a lot of the Venom comics and seen him in Spider-Man over the years. Uh, one of the things that you said, I want to see Venom on the big screen. You're absolutely right. So if you're seeing a Venom movie, you want to see the suit being fluid and able to create... You know, random shapes to use as weapons and, and reach across big distances and grab stuff. But with Venom, too, you want the like mouth full of huge teeth, comically large teeth, mm-hmm. the big slobbery tongue uh, that's dripping, you know, drool. And Venom always has had a, a, a really quirky sense of humor. Um, you know, when McFarlane first created him, you don't see this, but as that character has been fleshed out, there is a twisted, I guess is the best word, sense of humor that the character. Shows and this movie had a lot of that. Yeah. So yeah, I was drawn in there with you. I think talking about what's good and true and awesome here is is really what you were talking about earlier. Venom lets us fantasize about a world where we have the power to make some things right, and mm-hmm. so you do want the the immigrant who's trying to you know make it. Uh, in this country, running a uh, a deli, you, you want the robber who comes in to take their money to to get more than you bargain for, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you want the guy who's kidnapping homeless people to experiment on them to 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 receive justice. Mm-hmm. And, and as morally broken as this movie is. Uh, it does give you the opportunity to to contemplate some of those things. I don't think it can justify within itself why Venom is pursuing those things. But nonetheless, you get the chance to say, boy, it would be nice if I didn't have to worry about getting the shot. I would show a lot of robbers what for if I were bulletproof. Any other good,
1: true and awesome themes you want to highlight there, Jared? I think you pointed point something out good earlier about him pursuing his like you like his conscience and him wanting to do what's right and willing to lose everything to do what's right and um and then his repentance, if you will, um of what he had done wrong to his fiance yeah. and his his pursuit of her. Um I think all that's you know, that's praiseworthy, right? Yeah, yeah.
0: And it's the it's the hero part of the anti hero equation. Yeah. Um, In terms, the next question we ask is what's distorted evil and false? How do we subvert idolatry? So we, you know, we talked earlier about how this movie does give you a better world at the end of it. You know, the bad guy's been put down. Eddie's got his life back together. He's going to start making some positive changes. Well, I think in the end of that movie is the perfect capsule of what Christians want to be on the lookout for here and what they can probably find some profitable conversation uh, in with their neighbors. Eddie is walking down the street talking to the symbiote, and he says... You can't just go around eating people. You can only eat bad people. Mm -hmm. And the symbiote asks him, then what's a bad person? How do I know what I get to eat? And Eddie is just lost for a definition. Mm -hmm. And he ends up telling him, uh, Eddie ends up telling the symbiote, you just kind of got to feel it and you'll know it when you see it. He sounds like the old congressional definition of pornography. You know, Mm. we know it when we see it. And to prove that point... He goes into his neighborhood convenience store. Eddie does. He's going to get some tater tots or something. And the robber comes in and Eddie can tell this is a bad guy who's safe to be eaten morally. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. The the real world just doesn't work that way. And it certainly can't be the narrative of the moment. Like I watched this guy try to rob this woman. Um the narrative of the moment is insufficient to to render moral verdict on the life of a of an image bearer, mm-hmm. uh, and so that to me is what's evil and false here. Is this idea that yeah yeah we all just kind of agree on what's right and you'll know it when you see it, and, and this movie depends on it. Now again, we're thinking hard about this movie, but man, that just does not stand
1: up to even a cursory examination. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's good. And there, there's also—I mean, vigilante justice is is evil, um, and that's something else. I know it, it's tempting for us to long, long for—I mean, to try to go around the government, to try to go around what God has ordained. And I mean, it's one thing if you're self-defense, protecting your family. It's another thing entirely if you're going out and seeking um, to go around the police or to go around um, the governing authorities that the Lord has— Ordained, um, yeah, ordained.
0: Even when he's more aware than any of us that they can be corrupt and yeah, are subject to corruption.
1: Yeah, and I, you know, I've been preaching through First Peter, and something I've noticed is that Peter was written a few years before the heavy persecution under Nero, and uh, it's interesting that he's writing submit to the governing authorities. And then Paul is writing it in Romans. And both of those guys were later executed by Nero, by the very governing authorities that um, they—or at least under Nero's influence, um, the government's influence. And um, I just found that very fascinating when I was preaching through it, is that they kind of sealed—not sealed their own fate, but um, it was their belief in God's control his sovereignty that freed them, um, well, to be executed um, under that very authority. Sure.
0: And the Spirit of God who's inspiring them to write those things. Uh, he knew perfectly
1: well how their life stories were going to play out, right? Yeah. And I mean, it, what a beautiful way, like First Peter, what a beautiful way to prepare those Christians who are about to face the greatest persecution of their life. I mean, it, it, you know, to inspire Peter to write that, mm-hmm. it's just, uh, it's really, really sobering, man. Cause we, you know, you and I, and probably most of our listeners don't, we, we don't really know what persecution is. Um, not, not like first century persecution or our brothers and sisters in China, or, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, there, there are people who are losing their lives and, Um, You know, the the temptation is for vigilante justice, the temptation is to, you know, pick up the sword and, um, you know, instead of crying out under the altar in Revelation, asking the Lord when he's going to avenge, it's tempting to try to pick up the sword. Or if we had the power, um, what would we do with the power that we have? You know, would we still would we try to be like Batman? That's why you got to love Batman. You know, he'll go and capture the criminals and then hand them over to the authorities mm-hmm. and, and they'll put them in Arkham and then they'll get out and he'll go catch them again and give them to the government you know?
0: <laughs> over and over. Well, you kind of got at this earlier, and I think it bears further examination when we're talking about where do we see idols? How do we subvert them? And I think there's an idol that lives in our heart that says, if I had more power, I could really do some good. Mm-hmm. But in in a unique way, superheroes show us just how false that is. Because superheroes need something that they can punch or blow up to be effective against. You know, mm-hmm. so if I had the Venom symbiote, I may be able to hang around in a major metropolitan area long enough that I'm 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 able to prevent some kind of mugging or robbery, right? Mm-hmm. But the real problems with humanity can't be punched away. So, like you said, in, in our communities, there are a lot of people who have given themselves over to drug abuse.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I can't punch them into a better life. You, you right. know what I mean? Like I, I, I just don't have access to their heart through a fist. No matter what superpowers I have, mm-hmm. um, and even if I, even if you kind of make this the most simplistic narrative you can, so you go find the drug dealer. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, how many, how far up the chain do you have to go, and how many drug dealers do you have to take out, take out that keep getting drawn in, new drug dealers being drawn in because there's an appetite for their product in your community.
1: Yeah, the sinful hearts, right? Exactly. Right.
0: You know, a couple of years ago, I can't remember the creator who did this, but there was a comic book creator who told this story that ended up being really goofy, but it was about Superman. And it was, it was an attempt to deal with this reality that they're just things Superman can't fix. And he has Superman. Uh, he has Superman take a walk around the United States of America. Uh, again, it turned out to be a really goofy story. Mm-hmm. But he he was trying to deal with the reality that like all the major problems in life, a superhero can't fix. And at one point, he has Superman in this neighborhood where uh, Superman helps the residents um, clean up some crime that's happening. And the kid tells him like, well, what if what if these bad guys come back and they end up talking about drug dealers? And he says, well, the thing you do is you tell them it can't happen in our neighborhood and you fight them and you don't give them a foothold. And when you read it, you're like, so the solution is you chase them into the next neighborhood Hmm. and then maybe that neighborhood chases them into another neighborhood. Like we're just rolling this problem over to another set of neighbors. And, you know, the the comic book story went off the rails because that guy couldn't answer it. He couldn't figure out what was the ultimate solution to the problem of wicked human hearts. All he could huh. do is say, you protect your territory, you know. Uh, yeah. And so he, you just can't buy into this narrative that if you had more power, the world would be a better place. Your your enjoyment might be higher, but the kind of power that's available to us, even, you know, we think about our highest Abilities to attain power. So if we became president or, you know, we've seen the Kavanaugh confirmation, I became a Supreme Court justice. Those are in our country. Those are the most powerful people in the world, or at least in our country. Mm -hmm. Some of the most powerful in the world. What can they do to change one person's heart? Absolutely. To whatever degree they have that power, it's not going to come through some judicial ruling some legislative declaration or some executive use of power, they might be able to transmit an idea that would change somebody's hearts, but it's not by virtue of their office. Mm -hmm. And don't get me wrong. I, I mean, I think specifically people who are in political and civic power have the ability to, to do good to their fellow man in a unique way through that vocation. So I'm not just throwing away politics or, really any other vocation, uh, as if it has no real meaning. I'm simply saying the biggest problems we're all facing, we don't have the power to
1: deal with. Right. And so uh, that leads us into the gospel.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we don't we don't need a superhero or an antihero. We don't need to be empowered ourselves. Finally, we you know, we don't need to have the right person in power. We need a savior and and specifically a savior who is part of a triune Godhead who can work through the spirit of God to make us new
1: creations. I mean, and if we if we believe that that should affect um, our evangelism going out and telling people. I mean, if we, I think, I think in, in parenting, Jeff, I mean, this is probably one of the biggest struggles is trying, you know, behavior modification, te- teaching our kids that you got to be good, you got to be good, you got to be good. I'm going to wear you out if you're not good. And uh, eventually you end up little Pharisees running around. And if you're not careful, if they don't understand, um, you know, I, that, all the discipline in the world cannot change their hearts. And so instead we got to shepherd their hearts, uh, making it, pointing them to the gospel, pointing them to their need for grace and showing them, um, yes, they're sinners, but God is gracious. Absolutely. I mean, again, I don't want to
0: be the guy who's out there discouraging people who are using their vocational lives. And I mean, vocational in the broadest sense. So as a parent, but then also, you know, as a shoe repairman or as a lawyer, Whatever civic gifts you have and how you use them gainfully, um, those things matter, and you can do a real good through them. But at the end of the day, the ultimate good can only be done through the proclamation of the gospel that the Spirit of God uses to draw people to the Son of God for the glory of God the Father. And so, yeah, it's got to affect our evangelism. It's got to affect the way we disciple people. It's gotta. It's got to affect the way we think about how we do good to people. You know, we we, mm-hmm. we can't do a final good to people, even if I could end hunger. And, you know, Lord, let it be that we can significantly reduce hunger in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. But if I could take away all hunger and all disease, if it's disconnected from people seeing the goodness of God in Christ, I've failed to really profit them in the way that they're most needful of. Oh, yeah.
1: And you've actually, I mean... <laughs> You just prolong their building up of God's wrath against them. I mean, it's like people wanting to argue over Jesus dying for everyone. And um, I think I think the devil wants us to argue over that because the reality is, is that if people reject Christ, they're actually the, the death of Christ is not good news for them. I mean, it's actually bad news because now they've rejected the only possible way of salvation, and they've just heaped up more stripes for themselves. Um, Yeah, so that
0: doesn't mean we don't want people going to end hunger, right? We're not just saying all you're doing is increasing condemnation or the, the lifespan that will do that. We're just saying, have a view to how you can profit them through ending hunger, uh, that you can ultimately profit them through the gospel. It is a good thing to to give food to the hungry. Absolutely. And in the conversation that's
1: begun with handing the food over, talk about Jesus. Absolutely. I mean, that's what your goal is. I mean, your goal is to love your neighbor and good grief. Give them Christ. Amen. How can we possibly love our neighbors if we don't give them Christ? I mean, I, I mean our church has ministries for... Um, young families and where we're giving away diapers, giving away all kinds of things. Um, but it's ultimately to pave the way for what the church has the monopoly on, what Christianity, the way of salvation, the eternal life, the, you know, these things are giving you run out, but Christ doesn't, you know. Uh, and so trying to show them that reality and remind them of that, because I know they've heard it in the Bible Belt a bunch, but uh, do they believe it? And I mean he's of infinite worth, man, and just just exactly what you said, um, you know, hungry people. Without Christ, still face God's wrath for all eternity. Yeah, and um, so our our goal as the church is to is to tell everyone about the good news and uh, to show them the love of Christ. But even an unbeliever can give someone bread, or well, that what they can't give them is the bread of life. And and so we've got to make sure we're the main thing's the main thing, right? And mm-hmm. um, what separates the church from the world ultimately is. Christ and the gospel. And so we, that's what's got to be at, at center point, man. And because we're, that's how he changes hearts. Amen. Yeah. Man. Amen. I mean, I, I know you know that, and our listeners probably know it as well, but good grief. I need to be reminded of that. Yes. Yeah. And, 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 and what's harder, man? I mean, in, in my opinion, it's much harder to tell people about Jesus than it is to feed them. I mean, I'm battling, I don't battle with the meals and the the good service type thing, because even the world praises you for that. Um, What's hard is telling people what can actually change their lives. I'm telling them about Jesus. That's the good news. Amen. Uh, A brother of mine.
0: in in our congregation uh, put up on social media this quote from George Whitfield where Whitfield said God forbid that I should travel with anybody a quarter of an hour without speaking of Christ to them Mm -hmm. and uh, that that has a lot of application so you and I are going to say feed the poor you know offer them shelter clothing all the things you can to profit them as a neighbor but God forbid that you would feed someone and not speak to them of Christ right yeah absolutely yeah so Venom, you're fun to watch, man, but you're not a uh, you're not going to fix things for us, um, Jared. Anything else you got to say about this movie, bud? No, that's all, man. That's all. Uh, what are you thinking for the next episode? That is a good question I'm not entirely sure I know the things I'm looking forward to uh, In the coming week I think Halloween The new Halloween Releases this week uh, Flanagan's House On Haunted Hill I think comes out This week So I'm going to Check those things out But I don't know If they would They would be eligible For uh, an episode here You got anything To
1: suggest? What about a First Man Or the El Royale thing?
0: Yeah I'm I'm probably More inclined To, to look at First Man So maybe we I don't know Maybe we catch that one And try to talk talk about it i'll I'll look up the uh uh, what was that disaster at the el royale yeah bad times bad times yeah i'll check that one out too i guess i'm my heart kind of leans toward first man so how about we pencil that in and then come back to the question after we check it
1: out that sounds good man yeah i vote first man as well i wonder if uh, you know el royale it's got an r rating it looks like so Mm. it may just be too too rough to watch yeah yeah maybe
0: All right. Well, Jared, how can people find you outside
1: the world of our podcast here? Uh, You can find me on Jared H. Moore at Twitter. You can find me on All Truth is God's Truth at Facebook. I've got another podcast. I've got a few episodes on that called All Truth is God's Truth. Check it out. You can find us on Pathios at Pop Culture Quorum Dale. Pathios.com forward slash blogs forward slash Pop Culture Quorum Dale. Every now and again, we put some stuff on there. So come check it out absolutely
0: you want to find me uh, out there on the interwebs i'm at right jeff on most platforms love to hear from you we have a facebook group that uh, we would love to see you guys in and hope to hope to see you there we uh we love talking to you guys about movies and our episodes and all the stuff that you're uh reading so uh reading watching listening to so get at us that would be a, a big help to us Guys, we, uh, we're not entirely clear on what we'll be talking about next week, but we will be back next week to once again examine some artifact of pop culture in light of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And so until then, uh, we thank you for listening, and we will talk to you on the next episode of the Pop Culture Coral Podcast.